Ladies and gentlemen, I'm full of optimism. Einstein's theory of relativity. And we're still seeing it quite well through that haze. E equals MC. That all men are created equal. About the future innovations. And growing strength in the air. This is Finding Your Frequency with your hosts, Jeff Spinard and Ryan Treasure. It's time to speak up, share your voice, and hear from the thought leaders. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another fantastic episode of Finding Your Frequency. I'm your host, Ryan Treasure, and we got a great episode for you guys today. You know, uh, I was in the Navy, my father was in the Army, and something that I hold near and dear to my heart is military service. My daughter, she's six years old, and she's already telling me that she wants to be in the Air Force. Uh, so I'm, I'm supporting that from the very beginning and, you know, following her and her path that that's what she wants to do. And, you know, I have a, a myriad of friends of mine that I've served in, uh, you know, multiple wars over there in Afghanistan and, you know, been stationed in Kuwait and Iraq and all that. So those people who sign their name on the dotted line and you know go overseas and fight for freedom are uh, some of America's heroes. And today we're going to talk to retired Army Lieutenant Colonel John Barry of the Barry Law Firm, who runs PTSLawyers.com. The law firm became the first to ever receive the Department of Labor's higher vets platinum medallion award the highest federal honor a company can receive for hiring and employing veterans. So I want to welcome Retired Army Lieutenant Colonel John Barry, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. We really appreciate you taking your time out to jump on Finding Your Frequency. I know you're a very busy guy. Uh, and the fact that I won't get a bill in the mail after I have this conversation is great because I know how you lawyers like to charge by the hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the, the good thing for veterans when we represent, I mean, you, you mentioned our site, ptsdlawyers.com. A lot of that is done on a contingency basis where if we, you know, if the veteran doesn't win, we don't get paid. So, but yeah, so lawyers, not all lawyers are bad. Not all lawyers are expensive. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. I appreciate you being on, John. Uh, you know, before we get into kind of what your law firm does and how you guys specialize uh, in, in helping the veterans, I want to kind of take a few steps back and uh, pay homage to the Finding Your Frequency show and, and, and what we like to ask all of our guests is, you know, obviously you were in the military and then you became a lawyer, but, you know, we want to know how you found your frequency in life and in business and ended up where you are. Uh, just take a couple of minutes and, you know, go backwards a little bit and give us uh, a little history of, of John Barry, where you came from and, and how you got where you are. Sure. I mean, it probably goes back to when I was 10 years old, I had a paper out and, you know, I really enjoyed, uh, you know, the business side of things. As I got older, I detasseled corn. I had, always very busy uh, and but very driven and I ended up playing I was playing football in college at the College of William and Mary interestingly enough uh, I was there the same time with Sean McDermott was in my class who's now the Bills head coach and Mike Tomlin was a couple years older than me older than me the Steelers head coach and those two teams just played um, actually uh, this past weekend so two of my teammates in the NFL now NFL coaches coaching against each other well I got injured and they, I was told you're going to have to sit out for at least a year. And so I decided just, you know, that I wanted to do something else. And I thought, you know, I, I my whole football career was about gaining weight and, and, and trying to play as heavy as I could. Now I thought, you know, what I really want to do is I want to, uh, 
I want to, I want to go the other way. I want to see how I can do if I really push myself and, Hey, and, and start, you know, go to ranger school, jump out of airplanes, see what it's like to feel combat stress, to, to be hungry, to be, to be tired, to be cold and then deprive yourself of food and sleep. And so I, I did that. And then, uh, I, I was, I was an infantry officer in the army deployed to Bosnia, came back in, uh, uh, about 2000, I got out, went to law school, but then the National Guard paid for my school. In 2005, uh, I was a company commander in the Guard, and I uh, was notified that I was taking my company to Iraq, so I deployed to Iraq as a company commander. I uh, came back, uh, went back to practicing law, stayed in uh, the National Guard. I ended up retiring as an officer candidate school battalion commander, which was a great job, you know, commissioning war officers and commissioned and, uh, and, and new lieutenants. Phenomenal great time. And so as I was doing this, I was practicing law the whole time. And I, I got to the point where I was it kind of, you know, reached the point where I, I think for most lawyers, they don't realize what a, what a ripoff law school is till you get there. They teach you nothing <laughs> practical. So it takes years before you, before you're really good at what you're supposed to be doing. And so we were representing veterans on my, and, and I, I decided to more develop the, the, the business end of it so we could help more veterans. The way our, our firm got started, my father represented the commander of the 5th Special Forces in, in Vietnam in a murder case, came back to uh, New York City and then back to Nebraska and was helping veterans on a pro bono basis because their PTSD was manifesting in, um, you know, cr- uh, uh, legal matters, divorces, criminal charges. Uh, you know, DUI, assault, murder. And so uh, veterans were not getting treatment for PTSD. It wasn't even a recognized illness. And so what happened was uh, he, you know, he started helping veterans pro bono. And then we just developed this into a practice where we could, we could represent veterans in the, not only at the regional offices, but also in the federal courts. And, uh, and that's what we've done. And, and we've, we've grown that and we want to help, you know, as many, we want to be able to help at the end of the day, when I retire, I want to say, Hey, I, I help hundreds of thousands, if not millions of veterans, because, you know, when you find your frequency, it's about deciding who you want to be a hero to. And I can think of nobody better than, than the men and women who raised their hand and swore to support and defend our country. Yeah, that's very, very well said. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I have several good friends of mine who got deployed for Operation Iraqi Freedom. Um, I was already out of the military, but we met because their family moved in on the same block that we did about 15 years ago. And we ended up being really good friends. And um, he was still in the National Guard. And the same thing kind of happened to him as, as with you as he was uh, uh, you know, running his unit in the National Guard. And they got the phone call saying, hey, your, your transportation division is you know headed to Kuwait for the exfil of a bunch of different army things that were happening there so they were commissioned to go and you know make sure to take care of all the vehicles and all that kind of stuff and you know even even being in the uh transportation division even those guys still have to go out and uh you know in, into into harm's way and look, watch out for ieds and all these kind of things and um you know my friends even given me stories of things that he that has happened to him that you know still trigger him to this day and there was a long time where the military wasn't really recognizing the issues of PTSD and it took him quite a while to, um, you know, get all of that sorted out. And once they got it sorted out, he finally ended up after 22 years in the army retiring, um, and getting a medical retirement because of the PTSD. So it was really nice that, you know, the army finally recognized that as a a big problem. And it's really good that there are a lot of new resources for, uh, those men and women who were in the military to, to get some assistance with that. But, I I never really thought about 
you know, the PTSD manifesting in a legal capacity where, you know, they would uh, need a lawyer like you to help them through, uh, you know, an issue with an assault case or with divorce. Tell me a little bit more about um, those particular items. Do you see a lot of uh, a lot of military members going through those types of things? And how does that PTSD affect them in those situations? Because I don't think that the standard public quite might not understand um, exactly those dynamics. Sure. So we, we see it a lot of different ways. Uh, and they say often it manifests itself in legal problems. You know, a veteran comes back and uh, it's, t- I mean, let's, let's face it, guys don't want to go to the doctor, right? We've got more important things to do and I don't, I don't <laughs> like doctors. And, 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 and most people don't want to go to the VA and a lot of, you know, I would say the VA is vastly improved, but if you think back to how our Vietnam veterans were, were treated, uh, that, the VA, you know, the, our country didn't treat them well. The VA didn't treat them well. And so, uh, you know, a, a lot of the, uh, there's a lot of stigma also associated with uh, mental illness. And so people were not getting help. And then what happens is a veteran is having either severe financial problems, can't, can't work uh, because the, the PTSD is so severe. Uh, the, the relationships fall apart, which usually results in either a divorce or uh, domestic violence or both, or, you know, the, the, the charges get even more serious. And, and sometimes there's things that happen uh, to veterans who don't treat it that really they're, they're living a pretty good life. But I had one guy, a former Marine, that was really doing some great things, working on a PhD, but his PTSD was so bad in the middle of the night, he'd wake up and be choking his, uh, his, his girlfriend. And, you know, and, 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 you know, at one point someone, you know, she, she freaked out and they called an ambulance. And of course, then the police come and they arrest the guy and, 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 and the situation didn't get, you know, it wasn't about helping the veteran. It was about, oh my gosh, this guy's uh, crazy. And he's going to, he, he almost killed this woman by choking, but really he had a, he had a flashback. He, you know, and he didn't even realize what was going on. And, and he, he knew he needed the treatment, but it, it just had never manifested itself that way. And, and, and when it did, um, you, as you can imagine, uh, you're working on uh, your lifelong educational dream and now you're, you're facing a felony conviction in prison time. And so when those things happen, you know, a lot of times veterans come to us and they're, they're concerned about the problem. And we, and we, and we learn also that, Hey, you know, if you do, you might want to get this checked out because if you do have PTSD, number one, you can get treatment for free from the VA, but number two, you're also entitled to monetary benefits. And, you know, some veterans say, well, I don't want this. And I don't want that. And I, a lot of times I say, look, you know, the treatment and the money, you may not think you need it, but your family does. You know, your family has to put up with you. Uh, you know, your family that has to deal with the, the, the strains of you not being able to, to, to maintain employment because of your PTSD. I mean, you need, you need to uh, put them first and take care of them. And it's difficult, right? It's hard to ask for help. And it's hard to admit any type of weakness. I mean, you know, at, at the end of the day, uh, in the military, uh, you know, we don't take sick days. You don't get a day off. Yeah, you know yeah. it's hey, you're paid to you're paid to fight and win. You don't leave a comrade behind. Uh, when there's a mission, it's mission first, people always, and it's as the Air Force say, service above self. So, you know when when something like that happens, you just you just suck it up. And uh, unfortunately, if you do it long enough, and you don't address it. Uh, it's going to come back to bite you, and we've seen that happen. And like I said, usually it doesn't become apparent until there's legal problems. But a lot of these stories have happy endings where the veteran gets into a veteran's court, the case is dismissed, uh, the veteran files for benefits and ends up uh, getting not only the treatment uh, that he, he or she needs, but also the uh, uh, financial compensation as well. 
Yeah, and you know, you bring up a good point. We were talking a little off air about my dad, who was a, a Green Beret in Vietnam, and uh, I remember growing up, and you know, so many times, and not to the point where you know my mom woke up with my dad choking her, but you know, I remember so many different times in my life just waking up in the middle of the night because my dad would, you know, wake up as having some kind of night terrors or flashbacks that were were, were popping up in dreams and, and nightmares, and you know, I never quite understood really all of the things that he went through. And um, it wasn't until my father was uh, diagnosed with stage four cancer and he was knowing, knowing that he was going to die where, you know, him and I were sitting together on, on his hospice bed in our house. And he divulged to me a bunch of information around his time in Vietnam, a lot of the emotional things and things that he had dealt with, um, which were, you know, in, in what we know now, he was dealing with PTSD for years and years and years after getting out of Vietnam and none of it was ever addressed. And, you know, I, I really I feel bad for him in a lot of spaces just because the the support, the recognition of that uh, that issue wasn't even around, you know, in the in. In, in the Vietnam era, um, let alone us finally getting a hold of it, uh, you know, in the 21st century and being able to make some strides in that space. And, um, you know, I can only sympathize with those men and women who, you know, have to deal with that as an ongoing, ongoing issue. Uh, as you've been working through some of these different cases and such, what kind of changes have you seen from, you know, early uh, PTSD that wasn't such as recognized as much versus what you're seeing now and what has the military done to make changes to provide additional support in those spaces? Sure. So th there's a lot of, uh, you know, they, they've tried to remove the stigma in terms of, you know, seeking help. You know, the army's put on a big, uh, I can say the army, the military in general has put on a big campaign to get veterans to, to seek help, to talk to somebody, um, I can think of, you know, a, a, a guy who was a, a first sergeant in, in Iraq and, and then a first sergeant in Afghanistan. And he, uh, he talked to me. I had served with him when I was a new lieutenant. And uh, he said, you know, and he told me, I'm I just went in to get some Ambien. And it came out and they diagnosed him with PTSD. And this sucks. And I said, no, it's good. When you retire, you'll probably collect some additional compensation for it. And, uh, and you know, once he got past the stigma of it. The reality is that as soon as he got out, he retired. He went out and opened uh, five CrossFit gyms. Um, and this is a guy who, uh, who earned two Purple Hearts and uh, four Bronze Stars with V device. I mean, this guy's a war hero, uh, you know, and, and so uh, he has nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, but it, it's interesting, you know, in, in, in speaking with him about you know, the, the struggles that he has because. Uh, you know, when we talk about it, you know, you would see out in the out in the field, out in out in combat, the guy seemed invincible. Uh, but you'd go back and talk, and he'd say, you know, that time when I got hit and I was in my Humvee, and I'm on the radio and I'm looking around. He's like, I've never been that scared. I was scared I was going to lose everybody and people were going to die because I made bad decisions. I feel, you know, I was afraid that I'm the one that got us got us put in that position. And, and, you know, and I think that's for a lot of people, that's, that's really tough. Uh, certainly there's, you know, combat, uh, can cause, uh, you know, just the fear of losing one's own life. But when you're putting up a leadership position and, and, and there are men and women who are relying on your decisions and you're responsible for them, uh, you know, that, that's a whole nother level of stress that most people will never experience. 
Yeah, you're 100% correct. I, I was in the Navy. I never saw any kind of combat situations. Um, I actually got out of the Navy in 1999, just before 9-11 happened. And um, it was interesting because um, those pieces when you're, you know, I guess in, in a time of peace and you're not really at war and you're really just uh, for the Navy, we just went out on ships and drove around in circles and played war games. And, um, and so there's no there's no real sense of urgency. There's no, you know, true sense of uh, of the the possibility of that loss when you're actually in a combat situation. So I could see how, you know, that could definitely change, you know, the way that one would think, uh, especially in that leadership role. I mean, that, that's got to be really tough when you have a platoon full of guys that you're responsible for. And, you know, you 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 go right instead of left and going right provides an IED, whereas left may not have and you don't know. And uh, that's definitely a scary situation. Yeah, and I think as leaders, you know, we, we always say, at least in the Army, train as you fight. And so we were very prepared, I think, for for combat in terms of we knew, uh, you know, what to do. We had executed battle drills hundreds of times before before we arrive in country. But I think what's difficult, and so even though we can, we, we've been trained on how to perform on the battlefield, it's, you know, wh- where's the training on how to deal with it afterwards? And, you know, that usually isn't addressed until until later until the redeployment yeah. until the soldiers are back home and and probably that's too late right because uh, not having that the ability to deal with that ahead of time that that tool uh, probably you know I don't I don't I have no scientific research to back this up but probably makes it worse because anything that we don't treat right away you know tends tends to get either get better over time or get worse, get worse yeah you know, and I, I'm going to use a football analogy because you played football and I'm sure you'll understand this. Um, when you play football and you go to practice and, you know, everybody's wearing pads and, you know, you guys are hitting each other and all of that. Even though that you're going through the motions in practice and you're going through the drills when you're being trained in the military and you have a plan of attack, a plan, a preparation plan, you know what your inputs and outputs are, you know what um, with with a specific action, what the reaction is supposed to be. But we all know that once you get put into a combat situation and bullets are flying over your head. A, you're extremely happy for that training, but just like practicing for football, um, practicing for battle is not the same as being in the actual battle. There becomes some, you know, heightened components of uh, of your emotions that happen that you haven't really felt before because you finally you, you get this understanding of this is real, this is happening right now. Um, you know, I, which I always laugh about like preseason football games because uh, none of those guys play in the preseason like they do in the in the regular season, and so I'm just using that analogy of saying that you know you can practice as much as you want but when you actually hit the field and it's the real deal it's a little bit different yeah yeah absolutely as i say you know no plan survives first contact i think the military does a great job though of providing your realistic training but i think the problem is dealing with um you know the the emotional aspects of it well how do you do that right there's no real training you read a book do you get good at playing football by reading a book Right. Herschel Walker didn't didn't get good because he read books. He, you know, he did hundreds of push ups and sit ups a day. And, you know, he got on the field as much as he could. And that's, you know, reading, you know, reading about it and learning about it uh, uh, cognitively. Uh, you know, it's not the same as going out there and experiencing it. And uh, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I would say that I think that, you know, the, the older, more mature uh, officers, non-commissioned officers are, you know, we're, we're a little bit more. I, 
generally more prepared for that scenario than than your young, you know, newly enlisted soldier who just got out of basic and, uh, you know, just arrived at the unit. And, uh, and yeah. now they, they really don't know what to expect. So, yeah, you know, I watch yeah, I, think, uh, I watch all these World War Two uh, videos like I'm, I love I love military history. And, you know, there's a, there was a point in World War Two where like a lot of the initial guys who went over for, you know, D-Day uh, and then they had to send in replacements. Right. And these poor replacements were like 17 and 18 year old kids that were just, you know, barely out of basic training, getting thrown into the biggest world war in the history of world wars. And, you know, I can't even imagine the amount of PTSD that was created um, in those specific environments, fighting the Nazis and, you know, all of that craziness and coming back home. And and then there, there was no there was no identification of PTSD once those guys came home from World War Two. This is only something that, you know, kind of started happening uh, in the, you know, Middle Eastern conflicts that we've been having where the PTSD has been identified. I think it's been there always for those veterans who come home. Um, and as we kind of shift shift gears on our conversation, you know, talking about the veterans coming home and, you know, getting back into the labor force and, you know, trying to uh, uh, reestablish themselves as civilians and, um, you know, relearning uh, some different, uh, uh, you know, routines and such. Right. I mean, I, I, I was just telling my my neighbor, uh, she's uh, 20 years old. Uh, she's going and getting ready to go into the Air Force. And, you know, and I, I've told her a bunch of times, like, well, number one, I think you need to a before you go in, you need to start doing PT now because the amount of PT that you're going to do when you get into boot camp, you're not even ready for that. You And you don't even, you know, and she laughs at me like, oh, yeah, I'll be fine. And I'm like, yeah, you will probably be fine. But I'm telling you that if you go practice now, it'll be a little easier on you. Um, <laughs> um, and she's super young and I'm excited that she's going to go and hopefully she never has to deal with that. But, you know, as those as those folks get done and they come home, it's it's a it's a difficult transition Um was it a difficult transition for you when 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 you got home from Bosnia? Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, coming back from Bosnia, coming back from Iraq, um, I, you know, I, I don't think um, you know Bosnia was a little bit different in that as soon as we got done, I was heading back uh, to Europe for the Oktoberfest. Uh, but also, <laughs> it was a it was a it was a peacekeeping mission. And, you know, the units stayed together after that. Um, I think it, it gets a little bit more difficult when you go on a, and that was only a six month deployment. When you go on the longer deployments, and especially, you know, it was not a, uh, you know, it was not during a time of war, although we did start bombing Kosovo then, so things heated up. But, but it wasn't, it wasn't the same as Iraq where, you know, we went over there and we're, you know, and everybody's like, you know, hey, watch out for the IEDs. And if you're in, you know, and, and, and you, you brought up, you had a buddy who was a transport in the, the, the transportation branch in the army. Those guys, you know, were probably put in the most danger because yep. the, uh, the terrorists were looking for soft targets. And so they weren't going after the Bradley fighting vehicles, the up armored Humvees or the, uh, you know, the tanks, they were looking for soft targets going down the road, which unfortunately a lot of times the non-combat arms, at least early on, uh, those guys uh, were not afforded the same, uh, you know, weapons and protections on convoy. Yeah, they're, they're blowing up trucks that are just like bringing, you know, a couple of guys driving a truck with some fuel in it, you know, trying to take it to fill up the Humvees and the Bradley fighting vehicles and all that. And um, those are the targets that, that, that they were blowing up. And that was one of the stories he told me. They were in a convoy of, you know, two diesel trucks pulling tankers full of fuel that they were, you know, driving in the first diesel that was in the convoy hit an IED, exploded, everybody passed away. And my you know my friends in the in the truck behind it and watch the whole thing happen and you know 
just you, I mean, I, you 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 know what I'm saying. Uh, when a bomb goes off, there's stuff everywhere, um, and it and it and it's really sad. And being able and 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 seeing that visually and dealing with that emotionally, I mean, uh, if that doesn't doesn't cause you to have some PTSD, then you know you you're stronger than me. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, and and a lot of you know, a lot of our our, our our men and women were exposed to that. And you're and you brought up something inter- more interesting too. I mean, back in you know World War II, the the horrors that those people were exposed to. Those are you know our greatest generation. Yeah. And I and I I wonder sometimes wonder if they weren't better prepared because they grew up. You know, conditions were a little bit harsher. They didn't have the the technology and the the comforts that we have today. Um, you know, people uh, grew up, I, I think, in, the, in, the, in that generation a little bit tougher, right? Uh, they didn't have cell phones. They, you know, hey, those are the guys that walked six miles to school in the morning. You know, I mean, those were, it was a different, different generation. And I think that, uh, you know, I, I think while technology has been great and, and, and certainly the financial success of the United States is, 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 is un, you know, it's just been a windfall for, for generations. I think, you know, that to some degree we're probably less prepared for because we are very protected. We live in a very, very safe country. And, and once you get out and start going <laughs> to other third world countries, you realize uh, how fortunate we are. And I think for a lot of people, the culture shock and then, yeah, uh, just from going from, you know, uh, complete security to, yeah. Hey, there's nothing out here that's going to protect me except for me. A lot of people, that's you know, and then and then once the rounds start going down range, uh, you know, it's a, it's a real. They weren't ready for it, and 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 some think some aspects. I think that's a leadership failure, right? To really let the the soldiers know, hey, we're training, but I want you to know that you know it's going to be things are going to get real and bad things are going to happen. And, uh, and, you know, we're going to be here for you. If you ever need to talk, you need help. We've got people lined up. We've got a chaplain. We've got doctors. We've got people you can talk to and please don't hesitate. We won't judge you uh, because you know how the, the military really works, right? Someone goes to the doctor for, for a, or a sick call for anything. We make fun of them. I mean, that's just <laughs> the way it is. Yeah, no, I I remember even even when I was in boot camp in the Navy, you know, we had uh, you know PT every day. We did a lot of running. I'm sure as you guys did in the Army as well, and uh, and we did. We we made fun of the guy, and I knew the guy had the flu. Like he was puking in the bathroom all night long, you know. And uh, I, I, I he clearly had the flu, and you know it was going to be tough for him. But yeah, we're all like, well, whatever. We're all just going to go run. Why can't you run? And you know, you end up uh, poking fun at the guy, and you know, it's a good laugh for the for for the guys. Uh, but yeah, you know, you you do you take all that seriously i mean i don't i don't ever remember a day when i was in the navy where you know um you know you don't get mad when you have only four hours of sleep because you had two hours of watch that night or uh you know those types of things it's just kind of part of your you know military dna you just do what needs to be done and you you do it to the best of your ability and um, you know, that's another thing why I, I really appreciate veterans, you know, in the workforce, too, because uh, I, I have a guy that works for us now uh, in our engineering department. We do, you know, a bunch of audio recordings and such. And um, he's a he was a musician before he went into the army and, you know, used to record and have a band and they have a couple of albums that they've put out. They've done some concerts and stuff. And then he left and went into the army and, you know, he went over to war in Afghanistan and did a couple of tours there, came back home, um, you know, had some shrapnel in his neck from a bomb that went off and, you know, uh, 
even though all those things that he's gone through, you know, he's one guy that's part of our team where, you know, I know that no matter what is going on, whatever, whatever workload that we have, he understands what hard is. And so when we get really busy at work and it's like, Hey, I need to put up some extra effort. He's one of those guys because of being in the military, he's Uber prepared for any of the scenarios in the office or in the studio. Um, because of that training that he had in the army. And so, you know, as, as we move and we talk about, um, you know, those veterans in the, in the workforce, I mean, what better person to hire than somebody who can uh, operate perfectly with some black coffee and six hours of sleep, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And especially, you know, I hire my leadership team in the law firm is, is, is mostly uh, military officers. And, you know, I, and the reason why is the military paid for their leadership training. I've got proven leaders. Uh, combat leaders. Uh, you know, uh, I, I've got a guy who was an 06, a colonel. I guess that's the equivalent of what, a captain in the Navy, right? Who, yep, uh, yep. Was, was, the, was the G6, which means he ran about, you know, he was in charge of the communication devices, phone, internet, everything for, you know, for, for over 10,000 people. And, uh, and so, and now I've got him working on my team. And not only does he provide that, is he a genius in terms of internet security and and, uh, and how all of our communications devices work. Uh, but also he provides that bonus of leadership. And, uh, and so I've got my, uh, the head of uh, my general counsel, my head lawyer that advises me, he's a retired uh, Marine captain. I've got a uh, army Lieutenant Colonel runs our trial practice. Uh, we've got our veterans uh, practice. We've got other uh, people from other branches. We've got veterans from every single branch uh, in our, in our firm, except for the Coast Guard, uh, but we're looking at hiring a Coast Guard guy. But uh, I'm, but glad, no, I'm glad he didn't leave out the Coast Guard because I think those yeah. poor those poor guys get picked on enough. <laughs> yeah, but no, I mean I'm always hiring veterans because they get it. That you know, as uh, I think it was Peter Drucker who said that uh, you know culture eats strategy for breakfast in companies, and I got to tell you, our culture is phenomenal. I mean, you know, we can be brutally honest with people. Uh, Military in the military, we understand that feedback is a gift, and so you get a good ass chewing. You know what? <laughs> it may hurt. You know, don't take it personal, right? Someone just gave you a gift. They told you how you could get better, and they were they had the decency to be honest with you about your performance. Yeah, and you know that's funny that you bring that up. We were kind of joking a little bit before the uh, before the interview started, kind of about the millennial mindset, and you know it's. It's so true. And it's been it's been a challenge for me. You know, my father was in the military. He was a Green Beret. I grew up with, you know, uh, a person that required me to say yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. Um, as a kid, I, I grew up with uh, an expectation of obedience. Right. Um, my, my household was ran extremely strict. There were a lot of rules, a lot of things. And I appreciated that. A lot of the millennial folks, like they didn't grow up like that. They didn't grow up with all these strict pieces. And you got to be really careful sometimes when you talk to them, because, um, you know, if I come at uh, a 40 year old human being and I say, you know what, man, I really don't like what you're doing. You should have done it this way. Uh, this is a better way. You did A, let's do B. Um, and even if I come at them with maybe an elevated tonality um, or, or I'm, I'm being extremely serious, they can totally take that. If I do that to a 30-year-old, right, it's like I hurt their feelings. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's, uh, it, it's different. And I know we're talking about, you know, <laughs> hiring veterans and, and, and things not to say. And, and one of the things I think that, uh, you know, it can be a problem, too, is when 
uh, you get that uh, th- that snowflake out there, and they see that the <laughs> veterans joking. I mean, if I make fun of you about being in the Navy, or if you're a Marine, I'd call you a window licker or a crayon eater. And you know what? I can do that because we're in the military. I mean, there's that mutual respect, and, and we can rib each other, and you can make fun of me all you want. Uh, but the reality is that uh, then that <laughs> then that 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 snowflake comes in and wants to you know um, uh, kind of get in on the ribbing right the same person whose feelings are always hurt and then you know the <laughs> veterans usually don't take too kindly to that when if you didn't serve don't go around bashing the other branches but if you did serve then the other branches are fair game yeah right? I'd, I'd have some serious words for somebody who wasn't in the military that told me to go swab the dick <laughs> right exactly <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and that's funny, right? Uh, we're, we're the Navy Marine thing is like the, the biggest, uh, you know, jog on each other all the time. Right. You know, us in the Navy calling the Marines jarheads and them, them calling us squids. And then me reminding the Marine that Marine stands for my ass rides in Navy equipment, sir. And that if it wasn't for us, you wouldn't be able to get anywhere. <laughs> yeah, we, we would. Uh, yeah. When I was in Al-Assad Air Base in Iraq, um, we were an Army unit, you know, out in Western Iraq near, uh, you know, Ramadi and Fallujah and all those really bad places. But we would always say, you know, well, the Marines, you guys are just the Navy's little sister. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's really funny. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, we all know that uh, those branches of the military all support each other. Um, You know, the Air Force provides air support for you guys in in the in the uh, in the in the Army. Um, The Navy provides air support for us Marine people. So does the Air Force. And, you know, collectively between those um, those units, even though we might rib each other about, you know, what faction of the military we are in, we all have a high level of respect for each other and a high level of respect for, you know, signing your name for service and, and going out and doing something that not everyone can do. Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. And like I said, these are our nation's heroes. Those are the people who 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 stepped up and and we have to we have to honor them and uh and like I said, that's what I love about what we do. I mean, be heroes to our heroes, help them. You know, I you know, I, I, I hire veterans all the time as a lawyer. You know, you can't, I know that you, you don't want to ask people about their disabilities. You know, don't ask someone if they have PTSD, that's illegal. You can't do that. Uh, but you know, one of the things that a lot of times comes out in our interviews that, that veterans always volunteer is they know what we do. So they'll volunteer their experiences at the VA and, and whether good or bad or whatever. And a lot of times, you know, for us that tells us, okay, well, you know, if we're going to be fighting for veterans, we kind of want someone who's been in that fight. Who's, who's handled that next battle after they got back from combat and, and went back to the VA to get help and had to appeal a decision. So a lot of times, you know, we, we, we want to ask questions uh, specifically about, you know, how they feel about their, their, their time in service and, and what were the leadership lessons they learned. But we try to really stay away from the questions like, well, did you, you know, did, did you ever kill anybody, right? I mean, that's, that, that question is, is yeah. out of bounds for, for several reasons. First of all, it's in poor taste, but, you know, second of all, um, you know, are you going to hire somebody who said, yeah, and I can't tell you how many, right? I mean, at one point, you're, you know, or you're going to get someone who, who, who doesn't want to answer the question and it could, you know, uh, trigger bad, you know, bad memories. And it just, you know, uh, it's, it's, well, it's one not, of those It's things not where, like you're interviewing them to be a hitman. You know, I mean, that that's probably be the only time that it would be pertinent to ask someone if you've ever killed someone, right? As if like you're, hey, I'm hiring for a hitman. <laughs> yeah, no, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. <laughs> 
Um, it's, it's, it's completely irrelevant. And then, yeah. you know, sometimes I'll ask, well, you know, have you been shot? Once again, completely irrelevant. And I got to tell you, some of my buddies that, that have Purple Hearts, they're pretty embarrassed about it, right? Because if, if, you know, for a lot of them, they were in leadership positions and then they got taken out. And it's like, man, I left my team, you know, for 30 days while I was in the hospital. And I, I feel terrible about that because I was dumb enough to go out there and get shot, you know? So I just understand that sometimes, you know, that while the Purple Heart is a great, great honor for so, some that have earned it, it's actually a point of embarrassment because they see it as, you know, hey, the other side won on that. They, they injured me and I, I should not have allowed that to happen. And it hurt that it didn't, you know, it hurt my team because I, as a leader, should not have allowed that to happen. So, you know, so yeah, I mean, when you start asking questions like that, I just, it's just not, it's not a good, it's not a good place to go. And I, the better place to go is to ask specifically about leadership challenges, you know, what, what veterans have learned from deployments or what they've learned about, uh, you know, dealing with, uh, uh, being in, 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 in a situation where things get hostile or things get adverse or there's a, you, know, you you have less than what you need. How do you improvise? How do you how do you deal with uh, adversity? And I think those are some great questions to ask. But you don't want to get to the specifics of their service, uh, unless of course you served. And sometimes I talk to guys we served in the same unit, and uh, you know we ha have a great conversation about it. But I, I would say be respectful if they don't want to talk about it. Uh, don't talk about it. Yeah, and, and and a perfect example. I was talking about the the guy who was in the army who who works for our company, and I remember doing his interview, and you know, right there on his resume, it, it said that he was a veteran, and you know, the the questions that come to my mind are specifically more about like what did they learn uh, while being in 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 the military, you know, um, you know, like what did you do in the military, right? Having an understanding of what their job or MOS was, um, and and you know. I also like to know too, like, you know, were you, were you, are you from a military family, right? Not necessarily asking anything about your service, but like we talked about earlier, my father was in the military. I was in the military. And when you have somebody who you're hiring, who, you know, they grew up in a military life, they were in the military themselves, you know, they understand organizational components. They understand chain of command. They understand, you know, some of the, the, the basic components that are very necessary for a successful company. And you can have those types of conversations um, if you didn't serve or if you did serve um, about those types of scenarios that will be directly uh, correlated over uh, correlated over to the job that you're hiring for. And, and I think keeping it in that space during those interviews or hiring the veterans is probably the most important way to have that communication where you can extract some valuable information about what they learned and what they did without going down the road of, you know, saying, you know, you know, silly stuff like, you know, uh, how did you feel about leaving your family for so long? Or what's the worst thing that happened to you or getting into some of those things where it makes them go backwards and address emotions and things that could potentially be triggers for PTSD that you didn't ask that they have because you can't ask that they have that. And nor should you ask questions that lead to those triggers. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, I think it's just, you know, I mean, just, just be, be respectful. I mean, I, and I, and I, I experienced that myself when I came back from, uh, I was sure I'd been back from Iraq. I was in the courthouse. I ran to another lawyer and, and, you know, I, he was trying to be, you know, I guess empathetic. He says, God, it's so terrible. They sent you over there for 14 months. You were away from your family. God, that had to be just awful for that, you know, for that, 
right? And I, I, what he didn't get was I was very proud of serving in that war, you know, that this was no, like, I, I, I am very happy. I wouldn't have traded my experience for the world. I don't need your sympathy because I was away from my family. Yeah, it sucked. I had a six-month-old daughter at home and, and you know, and I had to leave. But the reality is I, that didn't cross my mind once. I was thinking I'm getting the opportunity of a lifetime. I've been trained for this and now I'm going in and I'm excited. And, uh, and I get to be with my team. And, I, you know, I loved every minute of it. And, yeah. uh, and to come back and to have someone badmouthed who, who never served, who would never understand the camaraderie, would never understand our successes or our failures, uh, tell me that the deployment was a bad thing, uh, you know, it, 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 it upset me. Yeah, and I think roundabout away, a lot of people, when they, when they approach a veteran or they're having a conversation, and uh, I think sometimes people just speak to speak. Right. They just talk to for the sake of talking versus actually thinking about what they say before they talk, because anybody knows that if you're going to be away from your family, your wife, your children for any amount of time, of course, that's hard. Right. There, 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 there shouldn't even be a question like we don't even need to discuss this. If you think about it. Um, yes, I was gone for 14 months and I was deployed. Yes, I was away from my family. Yeah, of course, it's a hard thing um, to, to go off and start a conversation with. Oh, I can't believe you had to do that. It must have been hard. Well, no shit, dude. Of course, it was hard. But um you signed up for service and you're proud of that service. And there's been, you know, millions of other uh, veterans in the history of the United States that have done the same thing. And if it wasn't for those folks signing up to be of service, we wouldn't be the country that we are. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And you know, I don't, I don't get offended. I don't really allow people to offend me. And quite frankly, I say a lot of stupid stuff all day long. Right. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's gonna, it's gonna happen, but just to be mindful of, Oh, well maybe he didn't take that. Well, is there something wrong with him? No, maybe you, you, you said something that was inappropriate, but, but you're right. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, most of the veterans that I've met, uh, you know, especially the younger generation, I, I've talked to some Vietnam veterans and some of them we've represented. I mean, it was horrible how our country treated them. Uh, yeah, I came back to a parade, you know, they yeah. came back to people spitting on them and, and it, you know, it, it really, uh, it, it's, it's tragic that that's how we treated our, our veterans at that time, but, but, but it's changed and we take much better care of our veterans these days. But, you know, I think veterans are one of our greatest resources. I was, I'm kind of on this journey right now where I'm going around interviewing uh, CEOs, veterans who are CEOs or or top executives at companies. And I have interviewed a a guy named Daniel Lark who started a $100 million apparel company called Grunt Style. I've interviewed um, a guy named Darren Ravellis who's the CEO of Casey's, which is a uh, a, a general store chain in the Midwest, which is, uh, uh, you're talking, Fifty thousand employees, about twenty three hundred stores, right? And 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 the list goes on. And there are these, you know, top level executives that say, "Hey, you know what I learned in the military? I learned how to execute. I learned when someone told me to do something to figure out how to do it and to do it." And these guys now are, are you know, some of the the leaders, <laughs> you know, champions of industry. I mean, if you if you look at some of the CEOs of some of the the, the, the Fortune five hundred companies, you're going to see a very large percentage. Uh, have military backgrounds. Yeah, you're 100% correct. And John, I appreciate your time. And I want to leave us with this. I think this is a quote by you, uh, that veterans are some of the hardest working, dedicated and loyal employees you could ever hope to hire. You know, because you hire dozens of them on your team. In fact, they're the most important asset in your company. If you get the chance to hire a veteran, don't mess up 
what can be a hugely fruitful and rewarding engagement by saying something distasteful or downright stupid. As a hiring manager or a colleague, you can establish camaraderie with veteran coworkers by being mindful and a respectful person, and the vet will undoubtedly cover your six no matter what challenges come your way. I love that. Yeah, I guess probably a lot of them don't know what cover your six means, but uh, if I can say it means cover your backside. Yep, uh, I got your back. Yep, yep. 100%. Well, thanks so much for having me. I, I'm honored and I always appreciate you know, speaking with, with fellow veterans uh, who are also, you know, are going to the next level, fighting that next battle after military service because military service is just the beginning. Once you get out, now it's time to use those leadership skills, those execution skills to get out and get something done for our communities and for society. So I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of what you're doing. Well, I appreciate that very much. And I'm proud of what you're doing too, helping out those folks with PTSD and making sure that they have a legal resource and, uh, and some recourse to help them get back on track in the event that, uh, that takes over. And, uh, I think before we go to, uh, John, can you, can you give out, uh, some information about your website, how people can get in touch with you if, uh, they have any questions or, uh, along the, the, and, and need some help with, uh, the law side of things with their PTSD? Sure, absolutely. Our, our website is ptsdlawyers.com, as in post-traumatic stress disorder lawyers.com. Um, uh, the name of our the name of our firm is Barry Law Firm. Um, yeah, we're, our headquarters is in is in Nebraska, but we represent veterans in all fifty states. Um, we've represented thousands of veterans at all at all phases, from the uh, regional offices through the uh, Board of Veterans Appeals to the Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims. Um, we've been doing this for, for, for quite some time. Uh, actually, since my dad started, it's been uh, two decades now. But, uh, you know, veterans are our heroes. I think they're our nation's greatest resource. I'm honored to represent veterans. And I have to tell you, one of the coolest things about doing this, I mean, I've met heroes from World War II to, you know, Vietnam, Desert Storm. I mean, we've got clients who, you know, earned bronze stars. Uh, and, and to hear their stories, right? I met Merrill, you know, I, I met uh, – they're the Rangers in Burma. I, I met, you know, guys that stuff that I read about when I was in, uh, you know, when I was a young lieutenant. And and I think, you know, having the opportunity to to meet these veterans and hear their story and be able to help them get the benefits that they've earned. I mean, there, there's no greater reward than that. Well said. Well said. I appreciate you being on Finding Your Frequency, telling your story and letting the folks know about some resources for uh, their legal PTS defense and things that can help them. And thank you very much and wish you uh, a wonderful success with your law firm and what you guys are doing. And I appreciate that. Uh, I want to thank the listeners also for tuning into this very special episode of Finding Your Frequency right here on Voice America, the leader in live Internet talk radio. And make sure you guys follow us on social media at Radio Ryan one at Voice America TRN and we're live every Friday at noon Pacific time on the Voice America Variety Channel. John, thanks for being on. We appreciate you very much. Guys, stay tuned for another fantastic episode of Finding Your Frequency coming up soon.